Welcome to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey, where we explore the rise of feminine energy in life, leadership and business. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in business and corporate and you're struggling to find meaning in what you do and how you engage your team. So join us as we talk all things leadership, strategy and culture and how we value both the feminine and the masculine in men, women and society at large to make a difference in our workplaces. In this episode, we welcome Nicole Van Hattam. Nicole is a wellness leader in the field of sustainable success for women in business. She's a TEDx speaker, podcast producer and host, three times best-selling author and editor-in-chief of the Hot and Healthy in Business magazine. After a long corporate career where she suffered from burnout, she retrained as a holistic health coach and now works to support and promote other women in business. And Nicole and I have known each other for years and we have great conversations all about masculine and feminine energy and how that impacts us in our life and our business. And so in this podcast, we explore that and we also talk about the big questions like what is our definition of success and am I in alignment with my definition of success? So this is a great podcast to get all sorted for 2019 as we enter this year. So enjoy. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on the Captivating Leadership Podcast. We bump into each other all the time, all over Brisbane. So it's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, and I wondered, we, we talk about wellness and sustainability and resilience whenever we get together, particularly in uh, women leaders. But I'd love to know your story as to like what you do and then how you also got into this, because it's, it's a really interesting and powerful story. Oh, thank you so much. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I do love spending time with you and you know, if we can capture it and share it with other people, I'm sure they're going to get value out of it because actually I don't care. We yeah, no, we're just have fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did I get into this? Well, my background is over 20 years in corporate and um, I worked across different industries, banking, finance, oil and gas, foreign affairs, defence force and higher education. And I worked across the world in the UK, Middle East and obviously here in Australia. Um, and I loved what I did and I spent so much time, you know, completely immersed in organisational objectives and leading teams and creating change and I was having a ball. It was fantastic. Um, over time, though, um, the hours that I was working, particularly with uh, my last full-time corporate role, which was Head of Human Resources for an international bank and I was based in the Middle East, um, myself and the CEO would work 16 hours a day, six days a week, and, um, you know, we were changing the world. So we were on fire. <laughs> and uh, we were living on um, caffeine. So yeah. I don't know if you've ever had uh, Turkish coffee, but it's it's basically if you take a syringe and you put it into pure caffeine and then you inject it into your vein, it's kind of like that. <laughs> And we were having about four or five doubles a day. Oh, God. We were skipping meals. So I would get up in the morning and I'd get my get myself together and I'd get to work and then I'd power through the day and I'd keep the ca I'd use the caffeine as, as my upper. And then you'd get lunch, you'd get whatever could be delivered to your office so that you didn't have to interrupt your pattern and you could just, you know, shove some fuel in the fire and then keep going. And then by the end of the day, you're like starting the flag and it was, you know, getting late and you're calling. I was calling my husband going, you know, oh, just another couple of hours. And he'd be like, oh, long suffering. <laughs> and um, also my boss, being in the Middle East, he was a British guy, but being in the Middle East um, in that kind of environment, it was okay for him to smoke in the office. Oh, yeah. Yes. And he was a chain smoker. So 
I spent between two and four hours a day with him in his office, locked in the office. Yeah, not locked in a bad way, locked in in (laughs) intensity of focus. And um, he ran a lot of feminine energy. So, you know, we were solving problems and we were expansive and we were open to ideas and we were collaborating and, you know, just doing amazing things. We also got a lot of work done, but we still did a lot of that. And I got a lot of secondhand cigarette smoke as well. Cut a long story short. Uh, it's really not a sustainable strategy. No. Um, and then over time what happened was a, a whole bunch of health issues were showing themselves to me. Um, I had everything from bloating, gas, constipation, diarrhea, all at the same time. <laughs> um, on my, I would be sitting in my office and, um, you know, I'd, just, I'd have a, a snack and my gums would bleed. I'd be like, what's going on with that? That's all right. I'll just get you, just ignore it. Um, And then, um, you know, my body would ache and I'd have headaches and neck strain and blurry vision and, you know, oh, just the list went on and on and on. And you excused it? Yeah. I didn't have time to be sick, man. I've got things to do. Mm. You know, I've got the world to change. But eventually I did kind of look in the mirror and go, oh, gee. And the funny thing is, it's not funny. It's a little, it's a little, uh, a little sad. I looked in the mirror and went, "Oh, I, I used to be cute. Like, <laughs> how did I get like fat and sick and successful?" And according to other people, and so eventually I went to the doctors and I said, "Hey, look, these are all the things that are going on with me. What do you, um, what do you suggest?" And I kind of went to the doctor with the subconscious thing that they would give me a bad diagnosis and then that would be the kick in the pants I needed to create change. Like I get that now. Back then it was a very subtle conversation in the back of my mind. Anyway, their response was, oh, look, these are just normal signs of ageing. I was like, holy crap, I'm 38. (laughs) I'm at the top of my corporate game. Is that the best I'll ever have? And it's behind me and now it's just kind of maintaining this or getting worse until I'm no longer on the planet. Well, that that seems a bit daft, right? Like I'm way too smart to be this stupid that that this is just, I'm done? Really? I was a bit horrified with that. <laughs> anyway, I called a girlfriend and I went, you know what? I need a break. I need a holiday. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I want one too. Why don't we go on retreat like we always said we would do? And I went to my boss and said, hey, I'm going on, I want to go on a retreat and go on a holiday. Um, actually, this is after, I don't tell too many people this, this is after I'd gone to him and quit. Oh, really? So yeah. that moment, oh. I went to him about two weeks before and said, listen, I quit. I can't do this anymore. I'm cracking. I'm, I'm falling apart. My marriage isn't working. My body's screaming at me. I'm fat. Um, I don't know. This just is terrible. And he was like, no, no, you, you can't. You can't leave me. Like, we're doing this thing together. Oh, great. You know, the whole feminine energy thing. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in this together. Yeah. And um, I was like, that's awesome. And he said, listen, instead of quitting, why don't you just, uh, why don't you take a break for three months and get your stuff together and then come back to me? Mm. I was like, if you can do without me for three months, you can do without me permanently. And he went, mm, just go on a holiday. So I went away, I came back and said, listen, I'm going on retreat. He's like, oh, great, awesome. How long for? And I told him and then, I went on retreat with my girlfriend to a really, really basic place. And because living where we were, we were surrounded with palaces and diamonds and everything was fancy, but it was quite superficial. There was not a lot of depth. Yeah. Which was part of the reason we were all struggling for this external version of success as opposed to a a depth Mm. um, and quality. Went on retreat. 
cut a long story short, <laughs> I, uh, I did colonics and stuck tubes in places. I didn't know I had places. <laughs> and I meditated. I slept. Didn't know what that was. I uh, did raw food massages every day. Um, I journaled. Um, I freaked a lot of stuff out of me, both, you know, physically, mentally. I was just cleansing on every level. Anyway, after about 10 days, I called my boss and I went, I didn't realize how sick I am. Can I stay longer? And he was like, yeah, you stay as long as you need. <laughs> and, you know, maybe when you come back, you can tell me some things and, and we'll do some things differently. And I might do some things differently too. I was like, I love you. You're the best boss in the whole world. Because when you're physically detoxing, you're also emotionally detoxing. Yeah. So I couldn't believe I'm having a little bit of a weep on the phone to my boss. Um, and I put the phone down. I was like, you're the best boss ever. I love you. You know, that whole <laughs> cleansing of emotions. Um, I went back, uh, back to the workplace after three weeks, a different human, and recognized that your body can feel so amazing and function so effortlessly. Um, and it can be so enjoyable to be inside your body and your mind. I had no idea you could feel like that, right? Because I was so clean, literally, inside and out. <laughs> um, anyway, I called my boss. I was like, I'm back. He's like, that's great. And I said, can I come down and tell you everything? I haven't become a hippie, but there are definitely some things we need to do differently in the workplace. And he was like, oh, listen, I just got off a plane from the UK, pretty pooped. Um, how about we talk tomorrow? And I said, yep, great. So we, we put a time in the diary for the next day and I was, um, he went off and did his thing and, and I went off and did my thing. Well, he was dead the next day. Yeah. Uh, he was 49. He died of a massive heart attack and I never got to have that conversation with him. So now I have that conversation with everybody. Yeah. Now, where is your tipping point? But we... I mean, after I retrained as a holistic health coach, I left the corporate world and retrained to go back into the corporate world and save people behind their desks. I can then see with my new awareness and my new education, looking back in my mind over the six months before he passed, I can see in my mind him dying. Yeah, so the, sad, at, isn't it? It's so sad. And so now if I look at people and I'm like, hey, we need to have a chat, it kind of freaks them out if they've heard my story. But it's really about having that conversation about, Where's your tipping point? Mm. Are you in touch with your body? Are you paying attention? You're in partnership with your body. It loves you. It wants to do the best it can do. You can only experience and do what you do in this world and achieve and lead people if you have a body. No body, no fun creating stuff and achieving things and having experiences. You won't be having them. So where's your tipping point? You don't know. Pay attention to the small signs along the way so that you don't have to get a big smack down before you pay attention. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's, you know, there were so many people walking into my office in HR that their performance-related issues were not directly related to work design or structure or uh, work environment or even their colleagues. It had everything to do with they had forgotten that they are a person first and that what is going on in all aspects of their life impacts their ability to perform. Mm. And with the leaders as well, they've lost sight that they're leading people. They're not leading parts of a machine. Um, and, and that's something that I'm very passionate about. 
when I go into corporates, when I do workshops, I always have the conversation with the individual, not the position. So if it's CEO, I'm talking to Bob. Mm. I'm not talking to, you know, if I'm talking to head, head of HR, I'm talking to Karen. I'm not yeah. talking to head of HR. If I'm talking to a team leader for, you know, I don't know, a call centre, I'm getting them to understand what it takes to connect the heart and the mind of the human being delivering a result so mm. they can get greater performance out of them longer. And everyone enjoys that and thrives. Yeah, because we have so many fascinating conversations about masculine and feminine energy, both for individuals and health and body and also at work. And I like what you described there perfectly is this, this ability to have the balance between working out what you need for yourself, which is an individualistic approach, which is masculine. And if you take it too far, we get into power status and significance and, you know, all of the issues there. But that need to understand what's for self and the connection into self, which is also feminine. So this this balance, if you're listening to your body, if you're listening to what's going on for you, then you're connected in. And then to take the time that sometimes might appear, in inverted commas, selfish, to do something about it. And that's okay too. So it's a beautiful balance of masculine and feminine. And I think that's what you bring to the to people in these conversations. What do you think? But for me, the whole self-care thing, this is something I had to learn over time as well. I mean, I grew up in, a, in an immigrant family. We're, I'm, I'm the baby of five kids. My parents worked really, really hard, long hours. And I would watch my mum, you know, she, she had no idea how to rest. Nothing. Mm. Um, I don't think it was ever anything that she put into her sustainability equation as a, as a leader of her family, for example. So we would all sit in front of the TV at the end of a long day. We were watching MASH. And um, my mum would, you know, she'd make sure we we're all good and then she'd go and get a giant basket of washing and she would be ironing. Now, we live in Brisbane. It's hot in summer. It's sweaty. We don't have any air conditioning. There's a crappy little fan and there's seven of us, five kids and mum and dad, in this tiny lounge room and she's ironing. Right? <laughs> and I would look at that going, oh, mum, why don't you sit down? She goes, oh, no, this has got to get done. So subconsciously, the the information that came to my little um, receptive uh, child brain was, oh, women never stop. Mm. Um, to be a good mum or a good woman uh, who takes care of other people is your primary role at the sacrifice of you. Yeah. Um, and I sort of interpret that in different ways. And then when I got into, I mean, I've been working since I was nine. I just love working. I love serving and I love creating things. I like love putting smiles on people's faces and and I never learned to relax because I consciously thought sitting resting relaxing taking care of me or prioritizing me in any way is not how you are successful it's not how you define success for a woman and the whole um sort of bringing that into the the feminine and masculine my dad sat on the couch completely relaxed (laughs) you know he'd done enough he was he's done his job now is to sit and recover, reboot. And so the conversation I often have with, with women predominantly yeah. is self-care is not selfish. It is self-responsibility. It is mm-hmm. self-leadership. And I often use the example of what is, what is used by many people as a version of self-care. So you're on a plane, the, <laughs> the air pressure changes and the, the mask drops down and you're supposed to put your mask on first. And I say to everyone, what do they say then? Oh, you know, put your mask on, then you can help others. I said, so why do they tell you to help others? And they're like, 
well, because that's a nice thing to do, isn't it? And I went, you know, there's two parts to that. You need to put your mask on first, yes, so you can help others because them saying that makes their brand look good. But the other reason is that you don't become a liability Mm. because if you're passed out in the walkway on an aeroplane, someone else is going to have to drag your sorry butt out of that doorway and throw (laughs) you down the, the landing strip and get you out of the way. So they don't want to say that because that's kind of like doesn't make their brand look good. Hey, put your mask on first so you don't disadvantage other people, you selfish poop, because that's a flip on selfishness. Yes. You sacrificing yourself constantly for your job, for your business, uh, for your team or your family is not sustainable and not that sustainability is necessarily um, the desirable outcome. But if you're doing those things at the sacrifice of your health and wellness and your longevity in that leadership position, that you're causing a problem for other people that they're going to have to step in and fix. Yes. It might be, you know, uh, you get cancer, you get heart disease, you get diabetes, you just don't perform, you can't function anymore, you're burnt out, you've got no more energy, your marriage has fallen apart because you're always at work. And I say those things because... I've been touched by many of those because I learnt the hard way. Three burnouts, facing burnout number four, and went, yeah, you know the self-care thing? (laughs) (laughs) It's not not negotiable anymore. I have my morning routines, which 90% of the time I must honour. I mean, stuff happens, right? But 90% of the time for me to function optimally, in my role as a business owner, community member, wife, friend, um, consumer, um, I must do because no one else can do it and it's my responsibility. And you know what? This body that was given to me was given to me. This mind that was given to me was given to me. It's mine. I own it. I love it. I use it. I decide how it looks and feels and, and what it does in the world. Mm. And if I don't honor that, then I'm causing problems for other people. Yeah, and I love this idea of self-responsibility because if this is somebody in a leadership role and they're demonstrated through their behaviors, not necessarily their words, because I'm sure they say differently, but through their behaviors that success looks like I am at my desk for at least 12 hours. I leave after everybody else. I always jump in and make sure I do whatever is needed. I never say no. If those are all of the behaviors that are being demonstrated, then that is actually selfish, irresponsible, because you're just playing to whatever part of you you've not resolved. And, and it's and not setting a great example to the team. It's not. And, and I come back to sustainability. So to give you an example, when uh, my boss passed away, um, he was replaced by another CEO who didn't like me. Fair, fair enough. Not everyone likes it, surprisingly. Really? Um, <laughs> really? I know. Oh, God. <laughs> But this, the, the, the CEO who passed away, right, so ran a lot of feminine energy. Um, he gave everything to his work, his employees, his team. You would follow him to the ends of the earth, practically did myself. Um, and it was incredibly, uh, but both of us would go home late at night every night. He'd go home and, and have a few drinks. I'd go home and drink half a bottle to a bottle of wine and put up with a husband who was miserable um, because he, was, he never got to see me. Then the, the CEO that replaced him, he would go home every single day at 3 p.m. He'd be the first one to leave. <laughs> I'm out of here. See ya. You can send me an email or call me later, but I'm going home. He didn't just go home and like sit on the couch. He would leave work. He goes straight to the gym 
Then he goes home and plays with his kids. He has dinner with the family and then he would go to night work. So mm-hmm. night work is kind of, it's a majlis. It's, um, it's where, okay, everyone else is, I've, I've ticked all those boxes, family, personal, health, yada, yada. Now I'm going back to work, but I'm going to work slightly differently where he would have meetings over, uh, he didn't drink alcohol. He had meetings over tea and coffee and uh, shisha, hubbly bubbly. Um, and they would eat a few snacks, but everyone could just come and go and talk about issues, mm. right? But during the day, he would get to work on time. He's one of the first people there. He he had very clear boundaries. Mm, masculine okay. energy, yes. Absolutely. But then he would go home and he would embrace his feminine yeah. energy, embrace his family, take care of himself, and then he'd go back to work, but in a combined sense, which is very conversational. It solves some problems with going on with you. Who turned up today? It's a very. It was a very um, old style Arab leadership style. Mm. He's still there. Yeah, he's still there, and it's nearly eight years later. Yeah, and he's look. He's put boundaries, systems, and standards, and and um, uh, just some structure around how he manages his time there, and which is said, fabulous. And he didn't reward people who were in the office for long hours to be seen. It didn't appeal to him. And he was like, why would you do that? Like, go yeah. home. Um, and also the question around um, are you delivering what you need to deliver within the timeframes given to you? If not, is it a systems problem? Is it a manpower problem? Are we working on the wrong projects? Mm. Um, and really try to find out, you know, why are you working 10, 12, 14, 16 hour days? When, when I was doing the 16 hour days, it's because we were literally taking the Titanic and maneuvering it through a minefield of icebergs mm. you know, with, with a full load of people or more people jumping on as we were going. We were going through massive growth. So it was kind of what was required. The problem was we started that journey already compromised from uh, work styles over the decades yeah. that had uh, eroded our ability, our, our resilience. So that's fine for a short period of time. Yeah, if you have to absolutely. take the Titanic and manoeuvre it through freaking icebergs with people jumping on, then um, do that. It's, minute, just, it's over. Yes. Back into that self-care with, uh, with a vengeance. You've got to rebuild. Mm, it can't become normal. And that's an unsustainable model for anybody in either business or in, in leadership. Yep. Do the short bursts, but it can't become normal. And your absolute passion now, I love the, uh, how you say this. You know, you're out there to stop death by desk. <laughs> you're a wellness warrior when you go out and, and do all of this. And um, what are some of the key things that you talk to people about? Like if they had to take away a couple of key principles, what would they be? And they're really simple. They're really, really simple. <laughs> Sometimes when I share this with people, they're like, this is life-changing stuff if implemented. And I'm like, yes. If implemented, <laughs> so the first Always one, <laughs> yeah. and I still struggle too. Like it's taken me years to craft out a morning ritual that sustains me that I can that I that I can continue with, and I adapt it over time when I re- recognise that it's serving me or no longer serving me. Um, but the first thing I'll say to people is, why are you working? Mm. What's the point? Why are you in that position? Why are you in that job? Why are you in that company? Why? 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 If you haven't taken any time to figure out why, then how do you know it's even your choice, right? Because when we are distracted from what's really important to us, it's easy to be manipulated by marketing, um, by corporate agenda, by, you know, whatever. 
when you are solid and strong and clear within yourself and you know exactly what you want and why you're doing it, you're un- it's very difficult to manipulate that kind of person, right? Yes. Try and doing it with a kid. If a kid wants a certain shoe and you want to convince that kid to have a different type of shoe, good luck. Mm. They know what they want and they're not going to be swayed by mum because she's got a budget, right? They will, they, will, they will get it. So that's the first thing. Why are you doing it? What is your definition of success? Mm. And when you get crystal clear, because oftentimes when I have this conversation with my clients or in workshops and speaking gigs, they're like, oh, I haven't really thought about it. And money comes up a lot. Yeah, what's well, a masculine energy definition of success is normally status and power, which generally comes from wealth, money, and uh, position. And that seems to be the thing that's held up as the ultimate. And it's a shame, really, because you know there's so many nuanced definitions of success, but that seems to be the one that's held up as the, you know, you see it in all the films, you see it in all the stories. <laughs> and that's my point, right? It's this um, saturation of that definition. Yeah. And the distraction from people having the opportunity to define it for themselves. I, because they've they've never been asked to, it seems to work for everyone else. So I'll just adopt that without having to think too much about it. Or um, three, it's just too hard. Like, what do you mean? Like, so what I do with them is to get them to define success. So what does it mean for you to be successful in your life? Now, if it is to climb to the top of the corporate ladder and have a Maserati and, um, you know, to, to sit with rulers of countries, I've done all of that except the Maserati. Um, don't really like them. I prefer <laughs> Um But that's great. Now, at some point, your definition may change. And you need to constantly come back to, am I still in alignment with my definition of success? Did it shift? Like when, for example, when you're in your 20s, your definition of success is very different to when you're in your 60s. Um, you, you know, you're trying to get that first job. Maybe you're trying to get out of uni. Uh, you might be trying to start your own business. Then you move through the, the corporate ranks. You're in different leadership positions. Maybe it's the next one. Maybe it's the next one. Maybe you want to go sideways. You don't actually want to go up. What is it, what is it you want? So getting really clear on how much money do you need to sustain your lifestyle? Do you need to push harder because your lifestyle is unsustainable for your current income, which means you then need to make different sacrifices for that lifestyle? Or would it be better to actually look at lifestyle and go, you know what, tick, I've had those wonderful things. They don't want to vote anymore. And just have a good kind of uh, success audit. Maybe you achieved your definition of success, but you've been so busy forcing yourself forward, head down, bum up, you know, nose to the grindstone, that you've missed the fact that you actually had it. I know. And also this ability to go, it's okay to change. Yeah. So I think sometimes we see success as it's an ever upwards movement. Mm-hmm. And the minute we say, oh, actually, I'm going to get off this ladder, we've like we feel like we failed in some way rather than say, ah, no, I'm really good at reviewing my life and I'm on a different path now. Yeah. That's okay. And I think sometimes, again, the, the success is striving and moving forward at all costs. <laughs> and it's That's not right. like that sometimes. It's not. No, and I think I, I would have a guess to say that this is one of the reasons that while there are increasing opportunities for women in senior leadership positions that many of them may just decide, actually, uh, I want that. Mm. And that's okay. We want them there because we want to see women in senior leadership positions and we want other women who might want that to see that as an option for them and, and we want to have influence in those areas. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I sat at that boardroom table and I looked around and I was the first female on, a, on that boardroom table and the rest were all uh, Muslim men 
um, Muslim and non-Muslim men, and uh, very strong in the way they approached um, certain things and their opinions around women in leadership roles. And after a while, I was like, well, I'm here. This is great. I've done a lot. I'm miserable. Yes. This is horrible. Why do you dudes want this? Um, and then I, obviously when I redefine success for myself, the, the next thing I had to do, um, and I do this with all my clients as well, is how do you, what needs to maybe change? What can stay the same? Mm. What needs to change for you to align your lifestyle and your work style to have your definition of success or to fully enjoy your definition of success if you're already there. Yeah. Because you might miss it. Yeah. Now I agree. I think one of the things for me, and it's a, it's a really, I suppose, subjective measure of success, but it's my measure, so I'm okay because I've been the subjective one, is <laughs> like, is my energy balance. Like, so if I, mm. I, I want to be able to do both masculine and feminine energy. And I know that if I run masculine for far too long, I don't feel successful. And if I run feminine for far too long, I don't feel successful. So it's how do I get my balance, which to me is about 60, 40 or 70, 30 feminine, masculine. And when I'm living that through all my different vehicles, so my vehicles are business, work, friends, hobbies, husband, fun stuff, all of that. When I'm, when I've got all of those vehicles and they're contributing to that energy balance, that's when I know I'm also like succeeding more at self care, succeeding at the, what I think life is about. Um, so yeah, so I do a lot of energy balancing, which sounds a bit weird and a bit woo woo, but that to me is my inner feeling of success. Which is a very feminine way to approach it. Probably, yes. There's no measures. (laughs) (laughs) And for, for me, I actually had somebody come over to my house. And I was talking about the definition of success and I wanted this thing to achieve and to succeed my definition of success for that particular project. And, um, and, and I was talking to her about, you know, what to me meant success. And she was hearing my definition and she said, but you've got it. I went, oh, oh. And I had to look around to see, well, Where is what it? Is it that, you know, what am I focusing? I'm focusing on lack. It was one small part of my definition, which was the financial um, income generation side, which was not where I wanted it to be. But for every other aspect and part of my definition of success, I had exceeded. But I was so focused on money, 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 money. I hadn't taken the time to fully appreciate all the things I had in the right place in my definition. So when I did that, I was kind of like, Oh, <laughs> I have a little bit of coaching session with myself. It was quite useful. Well, I find things like if I, so if, um, if, the, if the money's an issue for me, I know I've been running too much feminine and I need to bring that back. Um, if my, uh, I'll call it the, the fun or the, if the boredom stuff sets in or the, um, I'm feeling too constrained. I know I've been running too much masculine for a while. So I sort of go back to all the elements of how I want my life to look like and relate them back to the the energy state that I'm bringing at the time. And, you know, like I'm not, nobody's perfect. I don't get it balanced all the time. There are moments when it's completely out of whack. Um, but I know that if that's my sort of focus or, or that's my process for getting back on track, I suppose. But, yeah. but in, in terms of if you're a leader of people, and you haven't had the conversation around what their definition of success is. Yeah. And really help them 
you know, maybe be honest with themselves around what that means. You might be forcing somebody to take a, a project or another step up the career path, which is actually setting them up for failure, which sets up the team and the organisation, yes. right? Because they can't sustain it. They'll crack, they'll break. It just won't work long term. Now, if it's a short term, here, yeah, take this project on for a period, this short period of time, and that's okay. That's sustainable. Because mm-hmm. so long as you bring them back and align them back with their definition of success. Now, that's not your job as a leader, but you still need to bring that into your leadership style and be aware um, you're managing resources. Those resources are people. If they are not in alignment with their personal definition of success, which for all intents and purposes should be quite closely aligned to what they're doing with their, their job, their career, their position in the company, then you're not going to get long-term results out of this person, but you might get short-term results out of them. Mm, and I think it's also important to have a conversation with them that it it's okay if their definition is, isn't to move up because there's still this assumption. I, I mean, yeah. you come from HR originally and this whole development plan every year and then it's like, what's your next move? And it always is assumed it's going to be up. And I think as leaders, we've got to be okay with having a conversation with our people and keeping it completely open that it's okay if it's not up. That's not, a, that's not a failure on them so that they feel open enough and trust you enough to have conversations about, oh, well, I want to stay where I am or I've got other things going on in my life right now. So... Right, yeah. and, and, and looking at organisational strategies. So when, when my boss passed away, I went to the head office in London and I met with the, um, uh, like the deployment team. So it's the team that uh, takes their, uh, their leadership and positions them in different countries to, to lead whatever projects in, uh, for a couple of years in each location. I went to them and I just went, you helped kill him. They're like, what? Who's this crazy loon? My negative feminine energy was all over them. I just poured it out on them, and then I kind of grabbed myself in the middle and went, "Let's look at this logically. Mm -hmm. You did not manage his performance effectively. You did not ask the right questions. You did not resource him to be able to achieve Mm -hmm. his outcomes. For us to achieve the goal that we had bought into, with under resources, under appreciation." With X, Y, and Z, and I was very specific, here are all the reasons why I believe you contributed to his death, um, plus all the emotional side of, oh, my God, like, yeah. <laughs> someone's got to do this. And my, it, it took my feminine to get in there, and that drove me to get in their face, mm. and then I had to grab my masculine and logic and very clearly articulate yes. Um, had a few cries in the middle of it, I very clearly articulate this is why I believed that the company had let them down, um, had let not only him down, his family down, the the 650 people at the time that were striving and striving uh, because they bought into him and his leadership um, and because I didn't want anyone else to, I mean, obviously there's a personal responsibility from his point of view that yeah. he did not recognise he was not sustainable and his work style was not sustainable. But I really believe that there's, it needs to be a bottom-up and a top-down approach. To, Completely. We need to have a different conversation. We're, we're using human beings to create companies and, and get organisational outcomes, money, to benefit human beings. Mm. 
Are we, are we not missing the point that everything we're doing is about human beings? So the minute you forget this is actually a human thing <laughs> and we just completely become money, which is not a human thing, money, growth, um, status, power, you missed it. This is all being done for the benefit of human beings. Don't miss that key element. I read somewhere, I think it was in the book Conscious Capitalism, and they said, I don't know why we call the, the people side of the business human resources, because resources get used up. Well, that's my point. Yeah, exactly. And he, he and said it, we should be calling them human sources. Yes, but even oh. then, you can still replace that source with another yeah. source. Oh, we've drained that source. Yeah. But this is where, for me, my conversation, I think there's enough conversations in organisations, which, you know, the, the, the HSE and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I get in there and I talk to the person. Mm. To the person, what is your personal responsibility? Your organisation is has basically one reason for you being there: produce an outcome that mm. supports their strategic goal. In the process of that, their requirement is: don't kill that person, don't make him sick. Mm. The rest is up to you. And when I when I say to people. You're not creating diabetes on the weekend. (laughs) They're horrified because I'm talking to them about how they are uh, complicit in their ill health and they want to blame it on other people. Oh, it's my job keeps me sitting. My boss is is, is horrible. Um, Oh, we have to work too many hours. We don't have enough resources. Yes, they're all valid points. But at the end of the day, leave the job, put put a 10 minute alarm on your phone go and have a pee Mm. um get up don't put that cupcake in your face find out why you're craving sugar is it because you hate your job or you didn't do any self-care before you went to work this morning or you know what is it get to the these are symptoms the cause and therefore when you identify what the cause is um which is mostly people's lifestyles yeah even cancer 95 percent of cancer is environment and lifestyle okay so if you're working in chernobyl um, you have a problem. But if you're working in an average workspace and the work is set up not to kill you or make you sick, most of those problems are taken away from you. So now you have to focus on the one thing you don't really want to focus on, which is your personal choice and your lifestyle. Mm. And that's where your greatest power is for sustainability. And I notice myself, if I don't invest in my regular daily self-care rituals, two negative things can happen. I become too masculine in the way that I manage my relationships, mm-hmm. particularly one with my husband. Yes. Quite directive and <laughs> demanding. <laughs> um, or I get uh, dysfunctional feminine. Yeah. Where I become too emotional, too weepy, too engaged with, uh, you know, chit chat about stuff that's really not. Yeah. So this is fascinating, Nick, because. Um, we're coming to the end now, but this is going to go out at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect opportunity for inspiration for people when they're thinking about what their 2019 is going to look like. Right. I know. So if you had to leave them with one thing <laughs> to set themselves up for 2019, what would it be? Oh, you are here for you. Oh. You are here for you. You were given this. It was not given. This life was given to you. It was not given to your children. It was not given to your job. It was not given to your position. It was given to you. And that is so, that is so empowering 
because you get to decide what you do with it and what you don't do with it. Your body and your mind belong to you. Don't outsource them. Don't give them away. That whole self-care is not selfish. It's self-responsibility and self-leadership. And if you are in a position of leadership, whether that's in a family, a business, a corporation, a community, then your first priority is you. Mm. And that will set you up for sustainability and you'll be able to balance you know, your masculine and feminine energies and how you apply them to what you want to do with this one incredible amazing gift of life that's been given to you at this time wonderful what a wonderful way to set up for 2019 thank you so much for being on the captivating leadership podcast we could talk for hours and we often do um, <laughs> so really appreciating it thanks so much for being on absolutely my pleasure thanks so much for the opportunity and for everyone listening um keep listening because she's amazing <laughs> oh thank you thank you i will see you soon Thanks, Nicole, for being on the Captivating Leadership Podcast. We could talk about these things for hours and we often do. So it's a delight to be able to have you on the show. If you're interested in connecting with Nicole, go check out her website, NicoleVanHattam.com or email her at Nicole at NicoleVanHattam.com. She also has a podcast, Hot and Healthy Podcast and a magazine, Hot and Healthy in Business. So go check out those two for great insights into how to succeed in life and business without burning out. Thank you for listening to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review as this helps us spread the message and keep the conversations going. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, go check out her website on AchieveLeadSucceed.com where you can sign up to receive her ebook on the five C's of feminine energy and a video of Rebecca talking about leadership and feminine energy. And we've also got a Facebook group where we talk about all things leadership and culture, particularly around masculine and feminine energy. And that's called Captivating Leadership. So you're very welcome to join us there too. See you soon. Mm-hmm.